Welcome to the Belonging Project podcast. This is Fiorenza and I'm your host. The purpose of this podcast is to bring voices together to talk about belonging. Through inspiring real-life conversations, we explore how belonging can show up in so many different ways, what it feels like to belong, and the impact of truly belonging. Each episode will offer you inspiration and practical strategies to find your true voice in your life and as a leader. Let's dive in. Hi, welcome to the Belonging Project podcast. Today, our guest is Isaac Harvey. And I'm so excited. I've been following IDAC for like more than a year now. And just his work on disability advocacy is um, so inspiring. Uh, and I've been really enjoying seeing him involved in different types of projects. And I'm actually looking forward to talking more about specifically one that we were just talking about um, before we started recording the episode. So we haven't met in person yet, although we both live in London. So that's why I'm like underlining yet. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, And yeah, I'm just so happy to have you on the podcast today. Welcome, Idak. (laughs) Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. And um, definitely the London meetup has to happen. Uh, We'll make sure that happens in the near future. But yeah, looking forward to this conversation. (laughs) That's a deal. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your journey, perhaps as a starting point and your advocacy work. And I'll have lots of questions on that. Um, but how did that sound as a starting point? Yeah, no, it's good. Um, but I've got to keep it brief because I've got, my journey is a very long one um, and I could go down different routes to my journey. So I'll um, keep it down the disability advocacy route. So I was born with a disability called limb pelvic hypoplasia, which means I have no arms um, short legs, I have a weak pelvis, so I'm not able to walk, and I have scoliosis, which is the curvature of the spine. Um, and on top of that, I have reflux as well, which is uh, acid in my stomach. And with all of these, I would say, obstacles and disabilities, friends and family have always treated me like everybody else, and it's helped me become the person I am today, overcoming barriers and obstacles. And it garnered me a mindset which allowed me to think more positively when it came to my disability and see disability as my strength and it's allowed me to do crazy things such as skydiving skiing tour ship sailing uh the list goes on and on so i'm very grateful to the people around me but when it came to the advocacy stuff i wasn't very vocal on it until recently because so another thing I do, I'm a video editor and I, I would create videos of my journey because once I left school, I said, I'm not doing the nine to five. I want to do things that's going to be creatively mm. um, get my brain going when it comes to creative things. So I started doing vlogging um, after learning editing in school um, and I'll just share my journey, but I wouldn't really talk about disability. And loads of friends and family would say, oh, you should really talk about disability. 
in your videos you could really educate people and i thought well, what do i need to do that for I'm, I'm enjoying making fun videos of my adventures but they mm -hmm. kept at me and i kept saying no i don't really want to do it and it kept kind of made me push away from the idea of doing it until i was given an opportunity to do a public speaking engagement about overcoming obstacles which i did and i remember this very clearly once i'd finished speaking a woman came up to me afterwards and she said, oh, I get loads of pains in my legs and I complain a lot about it. But after hearing you and your story, it's changed my perspective. And that was kind of like the first time I'd heard it from someone who wasn't a friend or family member. Mm. And then that's, and that's when I kind of understood the impact I was making. So then I, yeah, I started implementing and talking about disability in my videos and then um, started being honest online um, and joining LinkedIn early 2021, which again was a platform I didn't want to go on because it was known to me as the professional Facebook. It was so, meant to be boring, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, why do I need to join that platform? But ended up joining and sharing my story and I've uh, built a community and that's how we got connected. So you know, everything happens for a reason. Are you still vlogging? Um, I am starting again this year, yes, but I've been putting them up on LinkedIn. Right, right. And and so were you using uh, the YouTube platform before and then you switched to LinkedIn? Yeah, I did YouTube for about seven years. Wow. I love yeah. following you on YouTube. <laughs> well, I haven't... Up I, I looked recently. I've not uploaded for three years. It's crazy. <laughs> Just before we started the, the recording... Um, you mentioned that you were doing a catwalk last week for the London Fashion Week. <laughs> I would love to hear more about how that opportunity came up. I think you mentioned it wasn't your first year. So are you thinking of modeling? Are brands reaching out? How is that working? It's uh, Okay, so I'll start from the beginning. So again, thanks to LinkedIn, I was sharing the things that I do with wheels and wheelchairs, which um, I'm the president for um, an outdoor activity sports club where roller skaters push wheelchair users. And I mainly joined LinkedIn to potentially get sponsors and people to know what we're doing when it comes to skating. So I was just sharing that part in the beginning of my LinkedIn journey. And that's when I got uh, connected with a woman called Victoria from Unhidden Clothing. And she was like, oh, I really want to do some work with you because um, you know, I have an adaptive fashion brand. So before all of this, the fashion industry, I'll be honest, was something I mocked. I, mm -hmm. thought, it was, I thought it was ridiculous. It was silly. You would always see these people wearing absolutely ridiculous outfits on the catwalk. And I thought, why <laughs> do I need to be involved in this? It's like, you know, fashion's not really, I don't, I didn't see the need of it. But once she started talking to me about adaptive clothing, that kind of opened my eyes to why it's important. Because my mom used to just make clothes fit me, and that's all I knew. Mm. But I never really saw the need of it and how many people are excluded from clothing. Mm. So um, I decided to take it more seriously. She had a pop-up shop in London uh, at the end of 2021. And I ended up going... Or wanting to go and she was like oh as you're coming do you want to be a model and I thought uh okay I've never done anything like this before but sure so I ended up being a model not knowing what was going on in front of 40 people 
And then I went to the first London Fashion Week um, in February last year. And that's when I got connected with another woman called Catherine um, from Seated Sewing. And she made me uh, adaptive clothing in pajamas, which were very stylish. And we've just connected that way. And um, yeah, but it's an industry I, I, I find fascinating. It's a very interesting experience in all angles from watching a show to actually being behind the scenes is a very interesting experience um and for me modeling for the future i don't know i i'd love to document it i want to clarify or confirm when we when we say um adaptive clothing does that mean 100 bespoke so for example the pajamas were made for for me in my clothing but there's uh, accessories on clothing such as ma magnetic buttons which mm. allow people with cerebral palsy to put the clothes on much easier there's different uh, materials which make it softer when sitting in a wheelchair there's oh. zips on the top um i know another woman who's got like a bra company which can be fastened from the front rather than the back so yeah it's it's bespoke but uh, as well as extra accessories to make it accessible mm, okay right thank you so much for clarifying that that's so sure um so will you redo it again next year uh well if i do it again it'll be in september which is the next major one um we'll see <laughs> well, actually no actually no i'm doing one before that july there's a disability expo happening in london and there's a catwalk happening there so i'll be doing it under cat so yeah Oh, so yes, I will be. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. So a few more events um, going on. So I'm curious if it has changed the outlook you had on the fashion industry at all. Yes, it has. It's It shows that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that area. And with all the coverage that we got from last week's show, it shows that things are moving in the right direction. But I think the next thing we really need to spotlight is the people behind the scenes of these shows. Um, representation is coming a long way and it's great to have loads of people with disabilities on the catwalk, different shapes, sizes, different races. I think it's really good. But what really needs to be highlighted now is all the people which make it happen because a lot goes into it, a lot of hours go into it. And um, yeah, just to see that side of the story. Yeah, sharing about that. <laughs> of course. Um, all right, there's something else you mentioned that I wanted to come back to. You've mentioned you're the president for Wheels and Welchers. Um, tell me more about, about this. What What is it? What do you do? Sure. So Wheels and Wheelchairs, I'll tell you a little history. So Wheels and Wheelchairs started all the way back in 2012 after a French group who had been doing uh, similar activities in Paris challenged themselves for their 10th anniversary to skate with wheelchairs from Paris to London for the beginning wow. of the Paralympic Games. So they knew how to get to the edge of France, but when it got to England, they wasn't sure of the routes that they would take to get to London. So they contacted the skaters here to say, look, we're doing this challenge, we need your help. And the English skaters didn't know the concept of this, and they thought, you're crazy bringing wheelchairs like that but sure we'll help you do it if you know what you know if you know what you're doing so they helped them with the route 
um, and they eventually came for the beginning of the Paralympic Games. And all the skaters here were all amazed by it. And we're like, yeah, we need to start something here. So that's where Wills and Wilters was born. Um, and they started taking out people from the hospice at first. And then it gradually grew into taking anyone with disabilities. And I got I first knew about it and got involved 2018. At the end of 2018, um, I went to Winter Wonderland in Hyde Park. Mm-hmm. I went on the ice rink in my electric wheelchair um just driving around and um one of the ice marshals came up to me and we started chatting and he said oh would you be interested in wheelchair roller skating and I thought oh I've never heard that before but yeah that sounds cool I'll get involved in that and um I eventually got involved March went to Battersea Park and skated around and I absolutely loved it and as a video creator, I created some content from it. So I was able to put that out. And then I was heavily involved that whole year. And then at the end of the year, they have an annual general meeting. And they were looking for a new president. Because when I had started, sadly, the previous president had passed away for unforeseen circumstances. So, um, And I never got to meet her. But I felt as if I did know her from everyone sharing stories throughout that whole year. And I um, ended up becoming the president because um, I saw a lot of potential in the group. Um, it's a great community. And uh, yeah, I've been the president ever since. Is the community London-based or is it UK-based? It is London-based, but I do want to have world domination one day. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that includes the, the French group as well then. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, they're already there. So we got to thank them for allowing us to start here so yeah <laughs> oh that's really cool that's really cool all right and um kind of going back to the topic of belonging i guess i'm curious to hear perhaps your if you can recall of um, of your the first experience where you felt that you really belonged in a group or um in a place if you wouldn't mind sharing with us um oh the first time there's been so many different communities that people have been involved in it's hard to remember the first time um perhaps the strongest one i think the strongest one is in recent times actually joining linkedin i kind of went in not really knowing or anything about the platform and what really comes from it and I remember my first post was like, you know, I'm here on LinkedIn. I have no clue what I'm doing, but here I am. And I showed a video of the different things that I got up to. And for my first post, you know, I got quite good engagement. And I thought, okay, that's really interesting. Um, And as the months went by, I did a post in July for Disability Pride Month, which was a month I never even heard of before, but it's basically celebrating disability. And I remember putting that post out on the 2nd of July, 2021, and it went semi-viral. And the amount of people with disabilities who connected with me and spoke to me in different levels, and how much I've, from that post onwards, how much I've learned from the community, it's felt like I, I, I felt like I was living under a rock before then, but I've, I've, I've felt so much more connected with the disability community 
um, and felt belonged and had a voice that's been shared with everyone doing their part. And I've, I've just learned so much and I'm still learning um, from everyone and being able to, you know, do things such as being on a catwalk was the last thing I thought I'd ever do. You know, it's it's never been on my mind or become an ambassador for Purple Tuesday or, you know, start a business with another disability advocate, seated perspectives. I mean, there's just so many things that I've got from the community that I've, I do feel belonged. And that's mm-hmm. thanks to people pushing me to get on LinkedIn. And um, it's my best performing platform now. And I feel really engaged there. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey worth traveling in that aspect. Yeah. What factors are important for you? What factors do you need to see or to feel um, so that you get a sense of belonging? I feel it's got to be inclusive um, in all aspects. So with my disability advocacy work, I, I, I mainly yeah talk about disability um, and the sense of just making sure everyone feels included in, in any space and giving people a, a voice to speak and an opportunity for people to share their lived experiences rather than living off assumptions. I think we got to, um, yeah, just in that aspect, just, yeah, make people feel included. I think that's the biggest mm-hmm. factor for me. And make people feel comfortable as well. Um, I think that's really good if that's done properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so, um, you know, fascinating to see how social media platforms like LinkedIn, how much they can contribute to this sense of, I found my community, I found my tribe. Mm. Um, and also the the of course, like you mentioned, the amazing opportunities that they can bring your way, and also I think there's a positive impact on our on our general well being from it. Um, yeah, it's how you use the platform. I mean, it's any platform could be used positively or negatively, but I just feel LinkedIn's different. It's so weird. It's just so weird. I never knew this place existed on the internet <laughs> or this community. Um, yeah, it's just, it's been good. Yeah. And how do you select the advocacy events or project that you, you, you're part of now? I'm, you know, I'm thinking that there's so many that are coming your ways. You can't probably say yes to everything. <laughs> yeah. So one thing which really helped was before I joined LinkedIn, I did a lot of research on the platform and I watched a guy who was talking about how how it works. And one thing he said is only connect with those who are in your field or at least uh, uh, related to your field. Like don't connect with just everybody because that can be quite overwhelming um, in itself. So I, that's helped me pick and choose who I accept or don't accept with connection requests and things. And it's also got to align with my what I'm actually doing because I've had some people just ask me for guidance in this area that I'm not really f- focused on or know much about. So it's got to be something that aligns with my expertise and something I can also benefit from as well. I, I like to see it as a two-way street that can be both beneficial for the both of us. And that's and if it's if it is that way, you know, if it's something that can benefit me, I'm more likely to 
want to share about it, talk about my experience getting to work with this person and um, yeah, elevate us both in the process. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, now I want to ask you a little bit about how was it growing up in London with a disability? How was the, I guess, the school experience or making friendships early on? How was that? Um, so my mom basically made sure I went to a mainstream school, as I mentioned in the beginning, treating me like everybody else. So with that really helped me go through the school system. Not saying it was easy because, you know, to get these things in place takes time, mm. especially if it's a mainstream school who may not have all the things in place for me, like learning support assistance, people to assist me during lunchtime and all of that. So um, that had to be put in place. But once it was in place, it was quite smooth. I had the odd teacher or LSA learning support assistant not being very helpful um, during class. Mm. But overall, it was um, pretty good. And I did make friends, but I've... For some reason, I've always seemed to connect with much older people, older than my age. I feel like I connect with people like that more. Um, and that's something I've always been, always done. So with the students in my class, who were my friends. Um, but because I mainly had to work one-on-one with learning support assistants, I kind of connected with them more because mm. I had to see them more and they had to help me pretty much all the time if I needed assistance so I kind of had that from friends point of view obviously as a student I wasn't like hanging out with the teachers and all that but basically I I would consider them to be like the friends and also growing up outside of school traveling so before secondary and primary school um, buses weren't accessible so I had to get taxis everywhere because that was the only way of me getting to A to B. I didn't even have an electric wheelchair back then. I had to use a manual mm. wheelchair. Um, so I was pushed around a lot. Um, and then when I eventually got a electric wheelchair, it gave me that independence to be able to drive around myself. And it also meant getting on the bus for the first time which absolutely petrified me. I was so scared because I'd never done the bus before and my chair would slide all over the place. And I was like, nope, I'm never taking the bus again. I don't want to do it. So that took me even longer for me to use public transport. (laughs) But um, mum, you know, made sure I was okay when doing it. And uh, I kept going on it every every so often. And uh, now I independently travel. I can get to London myself. The Elizabeth line, which has recently opened, has been really helpful. So now I can just get to my nearest station and get to central London within minutes, which used to take me hours on the bus. So that's a huge difference. And Transport for London team, all the staff members are great in the all the stations. They help me onto the train, they call ahead, and then I'm usually met off. And then they help me to wherever I need to go. Um, it's very rare that things don't happen because of miscommunication, but usually I have a good experience and that's helped my independence in getting around myself. But I still always require help if I'm out for a long period of time because I can't do like a long 
day so i need someone to help me with food or drink or maybe to the toilet and things but um yeah it's definitely helped uh, it's definitely improved in the past 20 years but we have a long way to go i'm curious if there's a country that is leading in terms of infrastructure um or or what's provided whether you know that actually i saw a post today on linkedin and i've heard it before but barcelona's meant to be really good with accessibility Mm. um i've never been so i can't comment but i saw a post from uh jenny berry she's a disability advocate and talks about travel and um yeah she she said it's really excellent and the bus drivers make sure that you're comfortable um and make sure you get to the space there's two spaces per bus which is something some drivers do in london but it could be a lot better but another place which shocks me where I have been is when I when I've been to America and I've used the bus. Uh so I'll tell you a funny story. So the first time I went there um was twenty fifteen. I kinda had the perception of America not being so as friendly, um, mm. because of movies and things. Yeah. Um but I went with an open mind, um, and went and I was with my friend and we had to get a bus from the airport to the town. So we got into the bus, I got into the wheelchair space and the driver opened his door and he was coming towards me. I thought, oh gosh, what have I done wrong? I, I'd never had this before. I was like, okay. Um, and he actually clamped the wheelchair in, which was kind of shocking and put a seatbelt around me, which is saying I thought to myself, no way you would get that in London. You probably can relate to this. No one would have the patience for a driver to be um, clamping a wheelchair in. But I thought, yeah, that was really good, actually. Um, and that was an every bus experience. Um, and the same when I went to New York as well. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay. That's really good to to hear that people are helpful, right? And they're willing to, to help. And, pro- and even if that means stepping a little bit away from their seat right and um and stepping in and helping i'm glad to hear that the tfl team is also um, Mm. is also being being helpful often they are kind of just in the backstage or you know in the background and not visible enough so and then when yeah when there are situations that they are needed the the communication system is is quite good actually um, yeah and, and one thing you know I think majority of people are willing to help um we've got to give credit where credit's due and you know if I did need assistance most people are willing to help mm, yeah I'm I'm always um I feel always so happy when I see that the community comes together to help on mm. any right um yeah. and we need that there's so much so much stuff going on right um the news are filled off wars and you know i mean yeah. all, all the negativity or toxicity people not being kind that we hear yeah we, we need more more kindness for sure and more help towards each other yeah, yeah and showcasing it as well yeah. showcasing it highlighting yeah, the good absolutely yeah i'm curious in your in your work you you mentioned that you're a video content creator yeah. Uh, and you do some post production work as well on videos if I if I'm getting this right. Uh yeah, I do editing. Mm. Yeah. Do you find belonging in the in that community, in that space, 
in that field of work as well? Um, I, it's a very interesting point, actually, because in some ways I feel really included and in other ways I feel very excluded because when editing, you're only by yourself uh, mm. working on a video because I could spend hours at home working on videos and I just don't talk to anyone. And that's the same for any video editor. You've got to kind of just focus and get the work done. Um, so in that regard, it's quite excluding, but it's also very including when I get to work with other filmmakers and other editors and get their expertise and collaborate. So it's a community that's a bit of both. There's not kind of like a middle ground um, unless you're doing a, a project that you're editing together, um, it's usually either extreme exclu- excluded or included. Yeah, yeah, see what you mean, yeah. So are there, beyond the, the Fashion Week that you've mentioned and your ongoing work with Wheels and Welches, are there any exciting projects coming up that our listeners must um follow well i'm actually going skiing next week in colorado Ooh, you're going back <laughs> to the us then as well <laughs> yeah i'm going back to the united states yeah i'm going back to travel uh so i'll be skiing there for 10 days which is be quick pretty cool um but for the major project and i'll i want hoping to focus on it a lot more is um seated perspectives uh, a, a company that I mentioned briefly with another, another disability advocate, Cat. We saw a gap in the market of places which do really good accessibility, but they don't have any videos or they're advertising that they are accessible. And that's a mm-hmm. huge shame on both the community and themselves when they could really be tapping into that potential. Um, and it's also an opportunity to inspire others to realize what they're missing out on if they do make things accessible. Because, you know, for years, you know, we, we complain and of all the things that people are getting wrong and how to do it right. But as we were just talking about celebrating the good and highlighting the good and kind of having that spin on it and, and inspiring people through, through the goodness of what can happen when you do get it right. For example, you know, we went to a hotel recently and on their website, they don't really talk about accessibility, but we had an absolutely awesome time there. The staff were amazing and inclusive. They have the accessibility built into the hotel as if it wasn't like an accessible feature. And it was just like a really genuine experience, but they're not advertising it. And it's a Mm -hmm. shame when the community could really be benefiting in going to the hotel as well as them gaining more business. So, you know, there's a huge gap in that aspect and we want to fill it and we want to do it correctly. And um, hopefully it will grow into something where we can build a bigger team and uh, get more people showcasing the good. I will I will share in the episode show notes uh, your link so that uh, listeners can follow you on LinkedIn. I may include your YouTube channel as well. Let's uh, let's let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and I'll also include the um, the um, Wheels and Welcher link so that people can get more visibility on that and the work you're doing. And uh, your project you've mentioned now, kind of showcasing um, more about places that are being accessible, but they don't have 
the means yet to um, showcase it. Thank you so much, Aidak. And I hope we can manage to organize the, the coffee <laughs> really soon. <laughs> Same here. No, it'll be, it'll be great to meet you. Uh, uh, the conversation's got to continue. <laughs> for sure, for sure. You can follow the podcast on LinkedIn at The Belonging Project Podcast. You can also hit subscribe and stay up to date with our episodes. And do feel free to get in touch with me on coaching at fiorenzarossini.com. Thank you again and see you next time.